0: You are listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. Recently named one of Christianity Today's 12 podcasts you don't want to miss, 2021. I'm your host, Marty Duran. Hey everyone, if you're a regular listener to Uncommentary, you may know that we were rec- recently named one of the 12 podcasts you don't want to miss by Christianity Today. We're really happy about that. Uh, I want to talk to you if you've been listening, but you haven't yet become a supporter through Patreon or PayPal. Uh, it's really helpful, and I'm going to do a pledge drive. I'm hearkening back to the old days. So right now, there are about 32 or 34 regular monthly supporters for Uncommentary, and then every month, I'll pick up maybe one or two additional gifts of support through PayPal. So I want to encourage you, if you've yet to jump on that particular bandwagon, Every episode that doesn't have an episode sponsor, and that's like 90% of them, is sponsored by my Patreon, uh, group and the PayPal supporters. So I encourage you to join that little band, patreon.com slash uncommentary or paypal.me slash uncommentary pod. If you'd like to give just a one-time gift. Now at Patreon, you can support paper uh, support uncommentary for only a couple of bucks a month. If that's your limit, uh, you can go to four or five or 10 or 20 or something like that, if you're feeling especially generous or if you've been blessed in some big way, uh, I'll take it and put it to good use, but I want to encourage you over the next six weeks or so to become a supporter through Patreon or through PayPal. Thanks a lot. A lot of you may not know my guest today. Uh, he's a pastor in the Dallas Fort worth area and we make a lot of hay about that. Um, but Bob Roberts Jr. is uh, world-renowned in some really influential places. So he's not a Billy Graham. Uh, he's not a guy who's who's preached crusades uh, or those kinds of things. Uh, but he's a guy that God has given a really unique amount of influence to, and he'll tell a little bit about that. But what we're going to be talking specifically about today is the recent flare-up in Israel between uh, Hamas and uh, the Israeli government, specifically the Israeli military, as they, as they struck back at uh, sites inside of Gaza. So this, uh, to me, seems to be one of the most misunderstood parts of theology, of religion as a sociological thing, uh, as history, as current events. Uh, There just seems to be an enormous amount of misunderstanding, especially amongst uh, Western and American-specific evangelicalism. So uh, Bob was very gracious uh, to come on today, and we spend about 40 or 45 minutes talking about this. He's a wealth of information. So I'm also going to do something that I don't do enough. Uh, I'm going to put a lot of resources in the show notes today. So these should be available wherever you listen to this. Uh, They'll come through. Uh, to a lot of books that I've bought and or read. I have a huge library. It's not totally read uh, of books on this subject. So I'm going to put a lot of links in the show notes uh, so that you guys can check them out. You can always order them from Hearts and Minds. Some of them, some of them might be out of print. Uh, But anyway, here is my conversation with Bob Roberts Jr. He is the founder of GlocalNet. He is the co-founder of Multifaith Neighbors Network. Founder and senior global pastor of Northwood Church, which I found out during the time that I wasn't recording properly, uh, is in the Fort Worth area, not out in West Texas, where I originally thought. Um, and you have a podcast that you've been doing for some time now, Bold Love. And I've already made the joke to you that it sounds like the love bow to me. Uh, but I think it's about something else. What's going on with that thing?
1: It's a, it's, it's a podcast about Christians and sex.
0: <laughs> and, uh, well, your listenership just, must be through the roof then It's just through the roof <laughs>
1: No, I, It's about the idea, you know, where Jesus says, love your enemies And so we need to be bold and reaching across the line and loving people that are different from us So I bring on a lot of my friends that are Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, agnostics, business leaders, government leaders, faith leaders And I just get their perceptions on life And we just talk about stuff And uh, it's it's been incredible We're having a blast
0: that's fantastic. Now that's kind of, and you also have a website, Bob com. I encourage everybody to check that out. And Glocal.net is the organization website, right?
1: That's it. Yeah. You can go there and find out about everything.
0: Fantastic. Well, that's the uh that's the kind of like the professional side of Bob Roberts Jr. Uh, tell everybody a little bit about um you know what you do and what you like and all that kind of stuff.
1: Oh man, I love to eat. I just love food. <laughs> I like Indian food. I love I love Pandora's. <laughs> lamb. I, I, I love Pakistani barbecue. I, I love Indonesian. They have this uh, brown spicy food. I like to go to weird restaurants for weird food. Uh, there's not an animal. I've not eaten, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I, my wife and I love to hike. Wait a, minute. Love to
0: Wait a minute. Have you had Komodo dragon?
1: I've had lizard. <laughs> That's Does close that enough for me. <laughs> I've had lizard.
0: Oh man, Komodo might be poisonous. I'm not sure. They eat a lot of dead stuff. I know that.
1: Yeah, well, hey, you know, it's uh, it's good stuff. You know, just uh, it's it's food is is uh, psychological. Yeah, I mean, we eat what we don't eat. Yeah, you know, so
0: yeah, that's fantastic. Well, Bob Roberts Jr., welcome to Uncommentary.
1: Thank you, Marty. I'm excited to be here. I Appreciate the invite.
0: So I want to let everybody know that, um, I really butchered this thing. Uh, Bob had done such a great job. I mean, was on such a roll. and I looked down to see where we were in the recording and realized that I had forgot to press record. And so, um, I've apologized to Bob send me a love offering to, uh, help assuage, uh, this time. Uh, but it's been, uh, but it was great. So I hope we're able to recapture, uh, every single thing that you said because it was really, really important. So uh, I do want to start with you explaining a little bit about your background because you can speak authoritatively to the situation we're talking about today, which is the conflict um, in Israel between the Palestinians, specifically uh, recently Hamas and the government of Israel. Uh, and you, you've you been uniquely placed, and I say that with uh, w- with the divine imperture kind of a thought, that God has really put you in a unique position, especially given your – Education, your history, your background, all that, those kinds of things, God's put you in a really unique position to have uh, influence and understanding about this. So, why don't you give everybody the three to four minute background on how you got to where you are?
1: I'm the least likely person to be doing <laughs> what I'm doing in the world. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Deep East Texas, very conservative, fundamentalist, tribal background. Uh, but I started a church and many years ago and 35 years ago and five years into it, our church began to uh, pray for Vietnam. And as God would have it, uh, an exchange student came to our church uh, from from Vietnam and they wanted to become a Christian. And I that was great. But then they wanted to be baptized. And so I literally had to get on a plane to fly to Hanoi and to visit with their parents. And their parents a pretty influential leader. And so they they gave me the permission. And while there, they introduced me to several government leaders. And the next thing I know, they needed help with our school teachers to help in education, doctors and nurses in medicine. And so we've been working in Vietnam for, oh gosh, many years. And it's, it's a people to people thing. And it went incredible. In the midst of that, I began to understand Vietnam from their perspective, not an American perspective. I was working with the communists. That was weird and different. (laughs) It opened doors for me to work with them on getting off something called the CPC list, uh, where they begin to reform their laws and so forth to uh, allow Christians and other religious minorities to be able to worship. Uh, I was asked after 9-11 to go uh, do that same kind of work in Afghanistan, which i dramatically pushed against, but I did it and became friends with, uh, some of the imams there. We wound up building schools and clinics together and, uh, things like that. And it, it, it just went incredible. And so some people had heard of uh, the Brookings Institute about a Baptist pastor who was friends with communists and Muslims. And they asked if I would be willing to uh, go and, um, uh, Speak and tell the story. So I did. And here's the thing, Marty. I was raised in East Texas as a Baptist where we knew exactly how and when Jesus was coming back. Right. <laughs> was us. But as I began to work with the Muslims and I became close friends, you know, I, I was fascinated. Why are you guys so as passionate about Palestinians as, as we are the Jews in, in that area? And in the midst of that, I began to look at my own theology. And I realized so much of my theology was speculative. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was snatch and patch. It was bad hermeneutics, really bad hermeneutics. And I came to the conclusion, the only thing I know for sure is Jesus is coming back. Mm-hmm. And I also realized that much of what I believed negated what Jesus did on the cross. Mm-hmm. It was a reversion back to the old covenant, not a promotion of the new covenant. Yeah. And when I saw that, I thought, my word— I'm, I've undercut the gospel Mm. and the whole message of Jesus. And not only that, I've undercut the Great Commission because now I've said it's about only the Jews. But the whole point of the new covenant is it's everybody, not just one nation, but we're all Jews in a sense. We're all chosen uh, because of what Jesus did. And when I saw that, it it rocked my world. And so when I spoke at the the, uh, World Islamic Forum, I simply made the statement, as an evangelical, I do support the Jews, but not because of... Old Testament uh, verses, but because of human rights and the the need of of the Jews to have a nation. But I equally support the Palestinians because God loves them just as much. Mm -hmm. Well, you would have thought I said I became a Muslim to (laughs) some of them. They'd never heard an evangelical say that. And the next thing you know, I'm asked to be on this think tank with about 30 or 40 world leaders. Obviously, I'm not. But they asked me to be a part of it. And They've never met an evangelical, and their perception of evangelicals uh, was frankly driven by uh, Christian TV Mm. in the Middle East that they would hear beamed out of the U.S. Mm. And it it was incredible. And so that's it. That's how I became involved. And the next thing you know, I'm involved in in local issues and global issues, and become friends with all these people working around the
0: world. And that's it. So. Um, your experience has, it really does give you a, um, a perspective and a voice, uh, in the current situation, which is, um, what's been happening in Israel the la- up until just a few hours ago, literally the last uh, few days. So there were 10 days of, uh, military activity, paramilitary activity, because I guess Hamas officially doesn't have a military, but they do have access to rockets, um, so hundreds, if not thousands, of rockets, missiles from Israel into Gaza, and a lot of folks in the West, and, and I have found, in my experience uh, with theology and and having a reckoning with it, uh, is is very similar to yours. Uh, so I think in across evangelicalism as a whole, uh, in the in the U.S. anyway, there really is this misunderstanding or just a lack of awareness of the complexities that are there. Uh, they, they really do see, oh, Hamas has launched, whatever, 4,000 rockets out of Gaza. They're just trying to kill all the Israelis. Uh, and, if, and if Israel didn't have that iron dome, then it'd be a real problem. And they don't understand what happens on the reverse side. Or if they do have, understand that Israel leveled a 10-story apartment building and some people were killed and dozens of people lost their home, then it was necessary uh, so there there does seem to be an imbalance in the way that we perceive the situation. So what I'd like for you to do is to provide a little context. Um, go as far back, maybe the late 1800s, um, with the Zionist movement or something like that, and kind of set the stage for how things got to where they are now and why there's such a problem with folks getting along.
1: Well, in 70 AD, in, in history, the Jews by the Romans were – ultimately driven out of the Holy Land. And that began centuries of persecution for the Jewish people as they scattered throughout the world, literally. And so in the late 1800s, uh, Herzl and others came together to say there needed to be a Jewish state. And these were not necessarily even religious Jews, they were secular Jews. And some said, well, let's go to the Holy Land. But but the leaders, frankly, were looking at places like Argentina and talking to the governments and other places. But about the same time that's going on, the British Empire is still in control. World War I comes across and the Ottoman Empire, as you know, uh, controlled all Turkey and, and, and all that part of the mm-hmm. world based out of Istanbul, controlled the Middle East and, and, and so forth. And so at the conclusion of that, there was something called the Balfour Declaration, which Uh, gave some of the borders that we have today in the Middle East. Uh, Nothing that much was acted upon until after World War II when finally uh, uh, the United Nations and America and others said that there has to be a state for the Jewish people. So they sent them into uh, Israel uh, in in, in a sense with with the mythic idea there were no people there Mm -hmm. in the minds of some, but that was not true. There were Palestinians uh, that had been there, and the Jordanians uh, had been uh, since the end of World War One uh, had, had been overseeing that that part of the land. And so, they, when they went there, it's not like they showed up and everybody welcomed them and were excited. The truth is that Jews and, and Palestinians lived together, and there were no issues. Mm-hmm. But when all of the Jews showed up, and people began to be dislocated and pushed out of their homes. It, it wasn't a, a gentle entry. I mean, mm-hmm. Let me just put it that way at all. And we don't hear that side of it, but, but that's the truth. And you can go back and study that for yourself. And, and it happened. And so as a result, uh, many of the Palestinians were displaced. Many of them went to Jordan. Uh, many of them were pushed into Gaza. Uh, many of them uh, uh, fled to the West Bank uh, as Israel took over the the area that initially the United Nations said that it could have, it was bloody Mm -hmm. and it was difficult. It it was not peaceful at all. And uh, the, the, the uh, Palestinians call that the Nakba Mm -hmm. uh, when it all went into place, you can Google that and, and find out about it. And so it was a, it was a, it was not done properly. And so as a result of that, there's always been tension. There's been tension from the other Arab nations that, uh, Israel would be forced to come because you've got to understand the boundaries. If you were to follow the boundaries of the uh, Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, uh, it just wasn't Israel proper as we know it today. It would be Egypt, Saudi Mm -hmm. Arabia, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, uh, Iraq, uh, parts of uh, Turkey. And so, you know, alarm bells are going off. Wow, we're all going to lose parts of our country and so forth. So they were seen as a threat. Uh, because of that, so that that drove a lot of it. Uh, there would be attempts uh, for for peacemaking, but it was tense along the way. And so there's been you've had Oslo Accords, you had you had uh, uh, President Carter. Yeah, you you've had others throughout the time have have fought to uh, put things together, but but it's not been successful. And and the reason is you, you have. As many people living in occupation that are being occupied by the Israelis mm-hmm. as are not. and make no make no bones about it. If you go as a tourist and you visit Israel, you can visit the West Bank. you can go to Bethlehem, you can go to these areas, but you've got to go through 30-foot concrete walls with machine gun turrets on top. Mm-hmm. There is not a free flow of movement between people. There is a massive disparity, uh, massive unemployment and poverty between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And so this is a simmering conflict. And and what you have are millions of people that are occupied, uh, if not in jail. yeah. And there's no free flow of movement. And so you, you can't just leave it this way. And, and, and Marty, if you don't mind me just throwing this in, and I don't mean to talk so long. No, go ahead. You don't need to listen to... People like me talk about this. Listen to the rabbis in America. I don't care if they're orthodox or reform or conservative. They've been yelling for a two-state solution. They want to resolve to this. Uh, what we hear is only sometimes the most extremist leaders uh, that are the, are the Israelis. And you have Netanyahu, who is in power because of uh, more recent, some of the far-right groups that have come into power so that he has a coalition. And, but, but the average Israeli wants resolve. I'm telling you, the average Jew, the average Palestinian does. Mm -hmm. And so there's this real, uh, passion for that and, and it's getting lost. And you have movements of Israeli soldiers that are, that are coming out and saying enough. Even right now, there are videos that are being passed around of Israeli soldiers bothered Mm -hmm. by what's happening to the Palestinians. So the, the problem is, We hear news from the vantage point of our president and their prime minister and the talking heads that are around them. There are really not good voices for the average Israelis and Palestinians, and and there needs to be.
0: I'm talking to Bob Roberts, Jr., uh, about the situation in Israel uh, between the Palestinians and the Israelis and some of the facts on the ground there, historical and present day. And we'll be right back after this. If you've been listening to Uncommentary for any length of time, you've heard me talk about Hearts and Minds books. They're my favorite independent bookstore located in Pennsylvania, owned by Byron Borger. I hope you'll give them a try, heartsandmindsbooks.com. Every book I've ever ordered from Hearts and Minds has come carefully wrapped in uh, brown wrapping paper, like packaging paper. Every single book. Nothing's just thrown in a box with a, pa- with a thing of bubble wrap and shipped to you in the hopes that it gets there in some kind of condition that it's still worth reading. You never have to worry about that with Byron. So I encourage you to try out Hearts and Minds books. Go to heartsandmindsbooks.com and let them know what you need. Mention Uncommentary, and if you can, he'll give you a discount on the book that you order. Thanks a lot for listening and support Hearts and Minds books. Uh, Bob, I would argue, and you feel absolutely free to disagree or correct me, Uh, I would argue that the primary... uh, Thing that, is, that drives almost all of the decisions, all of the violence and everything is the land. Uh, David Ben-Gurion said, be, I think even before uh, Israel was declared a nation by the UN, that they would have all the land. Uh, I think that has been reiterated through the years. Um, the settlement, I, I'll call it a movement, the settlement movement, which I think most people in the West do not understand what that is, Is land appropriation uh, by Israeli citizens who are authorized sometimes and sometimes not, but they're almost always protected by the government uh, to confiscate land that that has been inhabited by Palestinians sometimes for years and years and years to literally remove them from their own homes uh, occupy those homes until they're torn down and they can build new ones. And so this takes place individually with individual houses. It also takes place in, in plots of land. I've seen, you've seen and I've seen uh, in the West Bank what used to be bare land now is filled with uh, Israeli homes. Um, I would argue that this is about who controls, who gets the land and who controls the land. Is that too simplistic of you?
1: No, I don't. I don't think it is. I think that's part of it. I think that's a big part of it. And I think you have some extremists on both sides uh, within the Palestinians that would say death to Israel and and they do not support the Jewish state. Mm-hmm. I would say those are you know, there's many different surveys that have been taken on that data collection. That's not the majority of Palestinians. They might not like Israel being there given the history, mm-hmm. but uh, they they. Don't see that as a as a deal breaker, and I would say the same is true of the Israelis. You know, I had an interesting conversation, Marty, with Jonathan Sachs, uh, the Chief Rabbi of London, uh, who who I just loved to death, Orthodox Rabbi, and quite a man. And and uh, Doug Coe, who does the Prayer Breakfast, had invited me to invite him. So we did one year, and he spoke. and I remember we were at a breakout session with 150 people, and so he's my guest. I'm trying to be protective of him. I don't want anybody putting him on the spot. Right. Somebody asked him, they said uh, in, in one of the sessions, so Rabbi Sachs, uh, what is your opinion of the Palestinians and and uh, how do we get them to leave? And it, Isn't it a problem? And and I was going to intervene, and he said, no, Bob, it's okay.
0: Hmm.
1: And I listened to John, Jonathan Sachs, and I mean the guy looks like Charlton Heston <laughs> with the kippah. I mean he's just <laughs> incredible. And I listened to him, and he goes – you know, Israel never inherited all of the land that God promised.
0: Mm.
1: He said, but God blessed Israel even so. And he said, the question is not how much of the land that we have. The question is, how do we honor God with the land that we do have? Wow. And I thought, yeah, I just went, wow. I mean, I mean, it was utterly brilliant. Wow. So so I do think land is an issue, but I'm telling you, Marty, if you talk to the everyday Palestinian, the everyday uh, uh, Jewish, Israeli, and, and you talk to a lot of the political leaders, I mean, they want – they're willing to resolve the issues according to the 67 borders. Mm. It's a done deal. It is a done deal. The problem is power and control – and the people in leadership, mm. and and that's what you're dealing with. The extremists always seem to uh, create conflict, so that right when a deal is about to be finalized, they they throw it into turmoil again. So yes, it is about the land, but not just the land. Uh, that that would be my position.
0: Talk a little bit about um, the. Most people hear Hamas, I don't know that they know that it's an actual, like, political organization. It's not just a band of roving guys with shoulder-mounted, you know, RPGs. Sure. It is a political organization. It's not the only political organization in um, amongst Palestinians, but I guess it has the authority right now in Gaza. In the West Bank, the Palestinian Authority uh, under Abbas, um, I guess, is still at least the recognized authority. But there are problems even within. Uh, there are intra problems. So the the PA and Hamas don't always agree. Uh, Abbas is not always well liked in uh, amongst his own people. I think I read last week or maybe first part of this week that he had just canceled elections. So they haven't had elections in like fifteen years or something like that. Uh, right. My experience with Palestinians has been that they're not super happy about not getting able to not being able to vote. Um, so talk a little bit about those internal dynamics that that create some tension, even within the, the Palestinians themselves.
1: So, first of all, I don't like it when people talk about Hamas, uh, that Israel is fighting against Hamas and the Palestinian people. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like that. Uh, yes, Hamas are Palestinians. But to lump them all together, that they're one and the same, is very inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, most Palestinians. You're right, Marty. They're they're not. They're not pleased with Abbas, the and, and, and they have grounds for that. I mean, not much has happened. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they're not comfortable uh, with, with Hamas either. Mm. And so it, it's kind of this gray, uh, n- no man's area. But but the reality is there are challenges with Hamas. There's no doubt about it. They fire rockets. They do uh, activities that, that that would be considered definitely terroristic. Uh, But they don't represent all Palestinians. You've got to also understand when Hamas went into Gaza, it was in disarray. I mean, uh, it was a no man's land Mm. and it was people carrying guns over their shoulders. And and it was a mess because there were so many fighting political uh, groups. But what they did, they began to take care of the people medically, uh, food, other ways. And so as a result, that's how they came into control. And they began to moderate. They they, they uh, begin to leave some of their extremist rhetoric and mm. some of the statements that they would make at Israel. Because what they, what they were told is you have to become more of a political entity. So that began to happen. Uh, but it it did not go uh, to full fruition. Mm. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. And so as a result of that, but I've been to Gaza. And, and you have to understand that uh, many people that are a part of Hamas are there because they want to feed their family. Yeah. You know, I mean, I learned in Vietnam, uh, for example, not everybody's a member of the Communist Party, but many that are, it's not that they necessarily agree with all the tenets of communism. They want to feed their family. Yeah. They're, they're trying to take care of things. And even with Hamas, there's discussion that they have about, uh, you know, who's in control and, and, and they don't need to be what they've been. They need to change and, and, and do things. So it's not like. You know, every person of Hamas has a gun and they're ready to shoot an Israeli. That's just not true. Yeah, Uh, I'm not saying some of them aren't that way, (laughs) but I'm saying that they're perceived in that way. And I would say the same in the Palestinians. But after 73 years of occupation, and Marty, make no bones about it. It's occupation. Yeah. If you've been a tourist, you you, you can get into Bethlehem, but you can see the 30-foot walls that are there, the Mm -hmm. machine gun tourists. I mean, there is no free flow of movement. Yeah. Even within the West Bank, there are checkpoints. And so it's, it's not a free society. The unemployment, the poverty, uh, it, it's horrible what, what they face. And you can't take half the population of the landmass of, of the West Bank and Gaza and Israel, put half those people under lock and key and expect them just to sit there and be okay with it.
0: Let me let me ask you this. I've read this, and you, I, you'll probably be familiar. But if you're not, then just feel free to say you don't know. I've read <clears throat> that there is a an international law um, that if you are in if you're in a militarily occupied territory, that you have the human right to fight for your freedom. That you do not have to willingly succumb to the occupying force. Is that accurate or did I misunderstand something or did I, did somebody just give me a line of bull?
1: No, that's up for debate. Okay. They they didn't give you a line of bull. It's there, but what does that mean? Gotcha. And, and what determines, uh, occupation and that sort of thing. Uh, but, but, but I would say that the West bank, is occupied yeah, and and all you've got to do, just go look for yourself. I mean, some would say, no, it's not, but, uh, go for yourself. Just see if you can walk over, uh, into the, you you can't. Yeah. And see what you have to do to get in and what you have to do to get out. And if you're Palestinian, watch what they go through. Just, just go to the checkpoints and just, just stand there for yourself and you can see it.
0: I, um, so i've I've been twice and uh, I've stayed in the West Bank uh, both times that I've gone rather than staying in Israel proper and just driving through to go to bethlehem we We stayed uh, in the West Bank and um, and you're not lying there are thirty foot high concrete walls around the entire property um, I mean you can be driving whatever on the way to Nazareth and just literally in the middle of nowhere like driving through Kansas and look over. And there's a giant wall dividing you know, two pieces of land for as far as you can see before it turns and goes into another direction. Um, and so where, near where we have stayed is a very popular uh, art spot for the wall. So there are these phenomenal murals, many of which spring up overnight and uh, decorate the Palestinian side of the wall. And it's their way of dealing with this barrier that separates them from the outside world. What a lot of Americans, I think, don't realize is even if the even if the wall was built for a uh, a a acknowledged and explainable security reason, the way that the wall was built uh, was it seemed intentional. I don't want to say it was, but it seemed intentional or at least without regard to existing Palestinian property. So the wall separated many Palestinian farmers.
1: That's a fact. It doesn't just seem that way. That's that's a verifiable fact.
0: So the wall separates, for instance, Palestinian farmers from their farms and then requires them to go through these checkpoints that may or may not be open for which they may have to wait two or three hours to get through only to get to the other side, then have to reverse the same thing going home. So it's true. So the people that I have uh, met there describe it as living with PTSD all the time. They they never know what's going to happen next. They never know if there's going to be an incursion. They never know if the IDF is going to come into a camp and and try to arrest someone. And especially the young men Uh, you know, they've never, these guys have never been outside of these walls. I've talked to a 25 year old who's never been to the dead sea because he can't get permission to go within the West bank down to the dead sea, which is like a two hour drive. And so this, this very restrictive oppressive environment, it's honestly surprising that violence doesn't break out more often because of the suppression that so many of these folks feel.
1: I think it is. Um, and 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 the thing I would also say if you hold people down and and you you violate their rights and they can't take care of their families and you can't earn a living and you begin to lose hope you're setting up a climate for there to be an explosion like we've seen. Yeah. Let me tell you my concern. I think they've held it so tight. I, 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 think they're, they're, I think they're moving towards a point where there's going to be a lot more violence than what we've seen so far uh, because it's just frustration of, of people. And it's not going to matter is Hamas in control or Abbas or Fatah or any of the rest. It's just what's the point? yeah, just all or nothing. And you do have elements, definitely elements of, of uh, Islamic jihad and, 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 and others that are there, and the Iranians who promote that for their interest. So uh, I mean, it's, it, it is a powder keg mm. for all the wrong reasons, and, and but I think we're at a moment that we could see some change and some shift if we would be willing to see it because the people want it. I've wondered if we just don't need to go around the government and government leaders, both in the U S and, and in Israel and Palestine to come up with solutions. Mm -hmm. And somehow or another people demand, look, we want this fixed. And here's how we want it fixed. Because There's going to have to be a different way of resolve, and there's some creative ways. I was on a call not long ago, and I listened to a guy who was a Israeli general, and he was talking about what would it look like for there to be an Israeli federation, and you divided the entire Holy Land in different districts, and it was a so you had Jewish districts Mm -hmm. and Palestinian districts, and you know that's that that's creative thinking. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that would go, but. People are thinking in different ways. And and I I think to do nothing and just say we're going to wait until the ultimate solution, you know, where we've all already agreed on the boundaries. It's just going to continue to create this powder keg of a
0: situation. Do you think um, do you think there's going to be another Oslo type of meeting anytime in the foreseeable future? It seems like. Uh, it seems like President Trump tried something like that, or Jared Kushner, I guess, working for uh, toward that end, tried something like that. At least that's how it was portrayed, and then a number of countries uh, opened or reestablished or whatever uh, diplomatic channels with Israel, and now there's some tr- free travel back and forth. <clears throat> but the Palestinians decided to sit it out for whatever reason. At least that's the impression I got. Uh, and so it, whatever was happening moved forward without them. So will there be a time that everybody comes together and some of these creative ideas are now put on the table or, or is this current crop of leaders just going to have to go to their reward and a new, a new group is going to have to, to take it to the next level?
1: I, I think two things, uh, I, and, and don't let me forget, I want to respond to both. The Oslo Accords and the Abrahamic Accords were two different things. Okay. uh the Oslo Accords were Palestinians and Israelis that sat down together that debated how we could come up with a solution. Uh, the Abraham Accords were more along the line of what Egypt did and Jordan did when they recognized the existence of Israel and I think that's good mm-hmm. uh, Abraham Accords were great you know anytime you can build uh, establish diplomatic relationships between nations sure. that's a good
0: thing I think so, so yeah. I, I
1: think that's great. But those are two different things. So the, the Palestinians didn't sit it out. There was no uh, invitation to establish diplomatic relations with the Palestinians. Mm. Uh, that, that was not on the table. So, so I would say that. I would also say, and this is the whole point I'm saying, I think people are going to have to come up with solutions with grassroots, you know, and so forth. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to require some new leadership. I don't know the existing leadership can do it. Yeah. I don't know there's there's enough trust with Abbas, uh, trust with Netanyahu, that they're going to be able to broker deals. They're, they're too biased within their – even among their own peoples. Yeah. They're seriously – I mean there's a lot of is, Israelis that have serious questions about Netanyahu, serious questions. And I don't mean just a few here and there. I mean many, many in places of leadership and the same with the boss. So I think it's going to almost be a kind of black swan Mm. moment. Uh, You know, I've prayed for God to raise up a Gandhi or a Mandela or MLK for for the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. I think they're missing that. Uh, And I don't know who that person is. Uh, And, and, you know, some people would say, yeah, but the Israelis won't let that happen. I disagree. Mm. Disagree. If you look at Gandhi uh, and you look at Mandela and King, they they emerged in spite of the difficulties of those in power that would push them down. Uh, But here's what I think, Marty. I think it's critical for evangelicals to realize the role that they've played in this. Because I think, in some ways, because of speculative theology, uh, we've been pawns sometimes for our government, mm-hmm. and and instead of thinking creatively of what can be done, we've bought into one narrative of what's going on, and that means we've become part of the problem. Mm-hmm. We've become part of the deadlock that can get things out. So people ask me, if you'd let me do this, Marty. People ask me all the time. Well, if you don't support Israel because of Old Testament verses, then why do you support it, Bob? And, and can I give you those reasons real quick, Absolutely. Marty? Okay, number one, there is history of the Jewish people that were in the land, regardless of if you believe the Bible or not, the reality, they were there. Mm-hmm. Number two, they have faced tremendous persecution since 70 AD. Human rights demands that they have a place, and they were a nation completely indigenous that did once exist. Mm-hmm in that land. Uh, the third thing I would say is uh, you can't undo what was done with the Balfour Declaration, with the declaration from the UN in 1947. That that would be impossible. And that would create a war in itself. Yeah. Uh, the, the fourth reason, exceptional Jewish leadership all over the world. Einstein, government leaders, science, medicine, philosophy, literature. Where would we be as humanity without the Jewish people. Mm. Uh, next, they are a displaced people that do not have a land and they should have a land. Marty, I believe that they could be the model for what do you do with American Indians? What do you do uh, with Kurds? What do you mm. do with Pashto? Think of all the displaced people in the world. And, and, and what happens is when you look at the Kurds and the Pashto and some of these other people in the world or the Pashtun, The tragedy is when people are in the millions are pushed and they don't have that identity as a nation, it it creates instability. And the other reason I would say is why we should support Israel is for all their flaws. They're the strongest democracy that we've got. Mm -hmm. Those are reasons every evangelical support Jews. But when we say, no, we have to support the Jews uh, because uh, God gave the land to Abraham. Well, there were some conditions with that. You know about and you look at Moses' conditions with keeping uh, the law and following and so forth, back and forth. I don't want to be in the role of God and saying, "Are they righteous enough or not?" Uh, the The second coming of Christ. I don't know how that's going to take place. Right? To say that <laughs> Jews have to go back, and as a Christian, to say we have to go back to a kind of uh, of. Uh, Messianic Christianity,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where is that in the Bible? Right. Has anybody ever read the book of Galatians? <laughs> you know, the temple does not need to be rebuilt. It has been. This is, it. this
0: is the entire argument that I had to come to myself, the entire well, thread. It, yep.
1: Yeah, it's the temple, the sacrifices, the priesthood, the chosen people. Listen, if you're in Jesus, you are chosen. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, we we when we buy into those – dispensational, premillennial ideas, what we're doing, we're negating everything that Jesus did on the cross and the covenant that he started.
0: Uh, here's the one that really grabbed me, and I don't even remember, this has been at least 10 years ago now, was when I realized that there are Palestinian Christians. I mean, I just, yeah. I just grew up believing that all Palestinians were Muslims and they were just going to yeah. do what they're going to do and i was like wait a minute if if there's palestinian christians and these are my brothers and sisters in christ and they are suffering and largely and i'll be careful the way i say this but largely at the hands of a secular government so i'll just say it that way a secular government is involved in oppressing and harming in some instances but at least there's there's an antagonistic relationship with my brothers and sisters in christ what what am i doing supporting a secular yeah. government that's antagonistic toward my brothers and sisters in Christ. I realize that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that live within the boundaries of Israel proper as well. But, but that's the thing that shook me. I'm like, you know, the body is the body. The body is not the body and then geopolitics. So I don't get to choose who my brother and sister are, but I'm supposed to love them and support them. And that was the bell ringer for me.
1: We have abandoned them, Marty. Yeah. We have abandoned them and it's wrong. You know, it, it made me sad. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I was fine with President Trump saying we're going to recognize uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. I was just hoping the next day he would say in in West Jerusalem, we're going to now recognize the Palestinians in East Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. I I was hoping he would have done that. I was disappointed that that didn't happen. I happened to be with with uh, Palestinian pastors as a fluke. It just happened at that same time. And all the tweets that were coming out from American evangelical pastors, how wonderful this is. And I was sitting with Palestinian evangelical pastors who were heartbroken. And I thought, they, we're oblivious yeah. to what's going on. I
0: saw and, that video. Our,
1: our celebration is just horrible, yeah. Marty. Yeah. So I think my, my point is, and, and let me, a couple of other things. When we push that narrative, it's not rooted in peacemaking. Mm-hmm. And that's supposed to be. And haven't we learned we can be politicized as a voting bloc? Yep. Haven't we learned that media and others targets us and gives us a narrative that that's not right? So, so I think, uh, and if we're going to buy into that narrative, then we need to say, "Hey, get ready, Egypt, Lebanon, Jordan, Turkey, Iraq, Syria, Saudi Arabia, we want your land too." Yeah. I mean, let, let's be consistent. If we're going to say that, then. Then let's be consistent. And that's crazy. So I think we should support Israel, but not for speculative theology reasons, Mm -hmm. but for human rights reasons and for the value of the gospel. And furthermore, Marty, it cuts out the feet from under us as followers of Jesus when we want to tell the whole world about Christ. Yeah. Do you realize how Muslims and how Arabs see this around the world? We hurt ourselves.
0: Yeah. Well, folks have been talking to Bob Roberts Jr. Um, and he, he knows a lot more than what he had time to say today. So I encourage you to follow him on Twitter. It's at Bob Roberts Jr. Is that right? That's it. All right. Check out his website, BobRobertsJr.com. Uh, Bob, if, if you were going to recommend one book that could get people up to speed on this particular conversation that we're having right now, what would that one book be?
1: Palestinian uh, Palestinian Memories.
0: Um, a a wad
1: yeah i would i I would And, and here's why uh it's going to deal with the theological issues and uh you know these are real live evangelicals uh that that love jesus and they've accepted him and they want to fulfill the great commission and it's going to It's going to give you their perspective. You don't have to agree with it, but I think it is the best one, best one, hands down to read. I would also say uh, read articles are going to be more important than books on this. It changes too fast. Mm -hmm. So you can get some good history books. There's a lot that are out there. But I would read The Economist Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: because too much of our media is biased Uh, they're going to give more, uh, less biased, uh, simple, uh, responses to that. I would also, I I listen to a lot of the BBC on these issues. There's other outlets to listen to, but I would, I, I would, uh, I would probably follow magazines more than anything.
0: Fantastic. Bob, thanks so much for hanging out today. Hey, I appreciate it, Marty. It's been great. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at Pod. Please rate and review, and whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use, uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uncom- uh, on your Facebook page, or if you tweet the link or retweet the uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, uh, Soledad Gloria. This is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast.